Good evening. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians tonight, chapter 3. First Corinthians chapter three. Probably not ever paid as much attention to that final song as I did tonight. That's a powerful song. You know, when you really think about those words, that was a good song, it was a powerful song. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. It's already been said, but uh, I just want to say it again. It is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, it's good to be challenged by the music that we sung this evening and whether or not we're giving our best and then to consider what all you've done for us and uh, to compare what we've done for you in light of that. It really is uh, nothing that uh, we've done in comparison. Lord, I pray that you'd help me tonight to say what you've laid upon my heart, and I pray that it would be a help to us this evening. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks, something that we have noticed because of the words of Paul, obviously, is that there is a difficulty in distinguishing between a lost person and a carnal believer. We know that from what the Apostle Paul said, that both the lost person and a carnal believer will not accept the Word of God because they do not understand the Word of God, and the reason they do not understand the Word of God is because spiritual truths are spiritually discerned. And so if a person is not spiritually minded, they cannot understand spiritual truths. When they don't understand it, they will not accept it. And then as Paul began what we call chapter 3, we watched as he came out and just plainly said to them, Ye are carnal which meant they were worldly in their way of thinking, they were worldly in their way of actions. And as he was speaking of their carnality, he spoke of the fact that their carnality was evidenced in their division and their strife amongst themselves because of uh, the leaders that they wanted to follow and the leaders that they wanted to promote. Again, some were saying, I'm of Paul. Others were saying that I'm of Apollos. And so the carnality was seen and the carnality was made evidence in that one simple little area of their church life. After we looked at that, we began looking in verses 4 down through verse number 15 last week. We watched as Paul tried to explain his ministry and that of Apollos. He said that both of them were nothing more than ministers or servants of God and that in the eyes of God, neither men were anything to, to brag about or to boast of. He said one, one planted and the other watered. And he said it was God that gives the increase, and that's the way it has always been. And as Paul continued his writing, he said that he had simply laid the foundation, and he had laid the foundation that no man can lay except Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ, he said, was the ministry or was the foundation of every ministry that any person could have. And he talked about how the believers build upon that foundation. You and I are building upon that foundation with either that which is eternal or that which is temporal. So it was in verse number 10 that he said to the believers that they need to take heed or they needed to take heed or give attention to how they were building upon. What I tried to show us last week is this, is that so many people in their Christian lives, they are just going through the motions and they're not really giving attention to what they are contributing to the ministry and to the foundation that has been laid by Jesus Christ or that has been laid through Jesus Christ. And it is of utmost importance that we think about what we're contributing to that foundation. 
We want to contribute something that is eternal. We want to contribute something that will last past that judgment uh, uh, period and that judgment uh, time where we stand before the Lord and all of our works pass through the fire. We want that to be eternal, but if we don't ever think about it, then we are going to contribute things that are temporal more than are eternal, and we will be the ones who suffer the loss. It's not that we'll not be saved. It's not that we'll not make it into heaven, but our reward will be limited because we did not build upon the foundation in the way that we ought. And so that's what we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, and I review all that because eventually we're going to try to tie this message tonight into the last several thoughts. But before we do, I want to give you a thought that I'm sure some of you can identify with, maybe even all of you. How many of you have ever had what you might call an expensive week? You ever had a a week like that where you just thought, I am spending money here, I'm spending money here, I'm spending money here. Maybe it's been a couple of weeks, maybe it's been a month, maybe you'd say, "I, I thought that's how life went. I just thought life was expensive. Well, it is, but sometimes it seems to be more intensified than others. I was telling someone the other day that I had set a financial goal in my life, and, and, and Susie and I, we were right, at, I mean, we were just right at the edge. Just one more pay period, and I was going to be at that financial goal I wanted. And then you know what happened? Life. And life got expensive, and life got expensive fast. I found myself buying a tire for $130. I found myself buying a bearing for $100. I found myself buying boat parts for hundreds of other dollars. I found myself buying insulation for my attic for several hundred dollars. All told, Susie and I spent a couple thousand dollars in a matter of about five to six to seven days. I didn't enjoy it. You know what made me enjoy it even less? Is that there was nothing exciting about what I'd spent my money on. Nobody ever comes to the house and says, hey, can I look at your insulation? Nobody cares about that. Nobody looks at your tire and says, is that the tire you bought? Nobody cares. Nobody says, hey, I heard you bought a bearing. Can I see it? It's just, you understand what I'm saying? You, You spent all this money on stuff that no one cares about. If I could stand before you this evening and say, Susie and I had a great trip, I would feel much better about the money spent, but I didn't spend it on a trip. If I could say we had a wonderful time redoing this in the house and we're going to enjoy this for years to come, I'd have a much better attitude about it, but I, 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 I don't get excited about these things that I actually had to work on and, and spend money on because, well, it's boring and nobody will see it and really nobody seems to care about that stuff. But at the end of the day, here's what I know, and you know from your own situations, and that would be this, that as boring as it is and as irrelevant as it seems and and as unnoticed as it will go by most, every bit of it was important. All of it was important and all of it was needed.
Now, we'll come back to that thought in a few moments. We'll come back to that principle in a few moments. But I want us to look tonight in verse number 16. Verse number 16, we're going to begin looking at a couple of verses that are fairly familiar verses to many of us. But as I was thinking about the passage we'll be looking at tonight, here is what I realized and here is what struck me. And I ran this by Susie and I asked her opinion, not knowing what I was asking about. And and she confirmed in my mind what I was already thinking. But as I studied and prepared for the message tonight, here's what I realized. You talk about a verse getting taken out of context. You talk about a verse being misapplied in, in so many different ways It is amazing how verses 16 and 17 can get twisted to fit the position of the one presenting the passage. Because as I've said so many times before, I want to say again tonight, verses 16 and 17 were given within a context. And they have to be considered within a context. You're not allowed to just say, well, verse 16 and 17, and I'm just going to throw this out by itself and just start applying it however I want. No, there's actually a context that if we'll consider it, might be helpful. Might even help us live more like Christ or like a Christian. And for some, that would be a novel thought. And so I'm not saying you, I'm just saying For some, it would be a novel thought. So we're going to work through this tonight, and I hope it will be a help. But notice what he says in verse number 16. He asked the question, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? Know ye not that ye are the temple of God? Now that word know, most of us know what it means because we've dealt with the word before in other passages. But the word know means this, to discern something or to understand something. So Paul is asking the believers, he is asking the Corinthian men and women of God who are supposedly saved and followers of Christ, he said, do you understand this? Have you come to this realization in your mind? Have you discerned this? Have you you put two and two together and and come to, to really understand that ye are the temple of God? Now, I know that this will be somewhat redundant, and we're going to explain that in just a couple of moments. But what was the temple of God for the Old Testament believers and and for those who were maybe even alive during the ministry of Christ before the need of the temple was done away with? What was the purpose of the temple? Well, the, the, the temple was the dwelling place of God. That is where God inhabited. That is where God dwelt. That is where God placed his presence there in the temple. And so he says, know ye not or do you not understand that ye are now the temple of God? And he goes on to say, and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Do you not understand that the very Spirit of God has now taken up residence in your personal life. The Spirit of God, the presence of God, the being of God that once inhabited the Holy of Holies there at the temple, where God once placed His presence and men and women would go there to the temple, do you not understand that the 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 temple now, or the Spirit of God, that you are now that temple, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
do you not realize this? You understand that's somewhat of a rhetorical question, don't you? Like, come on, you ought to know this. We've dealt with this before. We've touched on this before. You are the temple of God. You are the dwelling place. The Spirit of God dwells in you. If you notice at the last part of verse number 17, the writer says this. Paul does, for the temple of God is holy. The temple of God is holy. Now, here is what anyone in their day would have known, anyone in their day would have understood, whether they be Christian or whether they be pagan, because the pagan religions had their temples as well. But the temples, for people in their day, they were sacred places in their lives. And so he says in verse number 17 that the temple of God is holy. So that means this, that the temple of God is not just a sacred place, but it would be a hallowed place, and it would be something that should be pure, and it is something that should be free from blemish. You understand this, don't you? That the temple of God, it is holy. So it is sacred, it is hallowed, it is something that is to be pure, it is something that is supposed to be blemished or, or without blemish. And so he says next in verse 17, after the temple of God is holy, he says, which temple ye are. So as the temple of God, or as the dwelling place of the Spirit of God, if the temple was holy, as he says it was in verse 17, and ye are now that temple, then what should the believer be, according to Paul, if you put two and two together? The believer should be holy. Okay, so the temple is holy, he said in verse number 17. The temple of God is holy, it is sacred, it is hallowed, it is, it is pure, it is free from blemish, it is free from contamination, and that is what you are. So therefore, that would line up with other portions of Scripture where it says things like this, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So God says, I am a holy God. I expect you to be a holy individual. I am a righteous God. I am a sinless God. I am a pure God. I am a God that is free from blemish. And you as a believer, that is what you are supposed to strive to be. So let's just establish this. You and I will never be pure. You and I will never be free from blemish. We're never going to be sinless while on this earth. But that is what we're supposed to strive for, is holiness and purity and freedom from blemish and freedom from flaw. That is what I am supposed to be working toward, and that is what you are supposed to be working toward, because the Spirit of God abides in me, and the temple of God is holy, which temple I am, or which temple we are. So based upon the fact that He is holy and the temple is holy, I, as a child of God, should strive to be holy. All right. All that in mind, all that said, notice what he said, though, in the first part of the verse. He said, if any man defile the temple of God. If any man defile the temple of God. 
What does it mean to defile something? Well, it would mean to mar or to corrupt. It would mean to deprave or to degrade. So the idea would be something like this. Here is the temple, and it is sacred, and it is hallowed, and it is pure, and it is free from contamination, it is free from blemish, it is free from, from fault, and, and, and that is what the temple is. And, and it is possible, Paul says, to defile the temple, to corrupt it, to mar it. to treat it in a way that is not right or appropriate. Does this make sense? It's possible, Paul says, for a man to defile the temple of God. Well, how would he do that? Well, he would do that through his own personal life. Because we are the temple of God. I am the temple of God, you are the temple of God, just as the Corinthian believers were the temple of God. And so what he is saying is this, through your own personal lives, it is possible that a man can defile or corrupt or mar or contaminate the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. How would one mar the temple of God and corrupt it? Well, it would be through sin. Sin would corrupt that which is to be holy. Sin would mar that which is supposed to be free from flaw. So he says in verse number 17, If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. What does it mean when he says, him shall God destroy? Well, we know this. He's not talking about their salvation. He's already said that if you contribute the wood, the hay, and the stubble, that's not going to last and you will be saved, yet so is by fire. So Paul's not doing an about face right now or doing a 180 and saying, you know, if you defile the temple of God, you're going to lose your salvation and you're going to be destroyed. But what it seems to be indicating is this is that if you defile the temple of God, if you defile the, 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 the Spirit of God that dwells in you, if you are living a life of sin, then here is what you are doing. You are inviting the judgment of God into your life. This would bear out later on in the chapters whenever we're talking about the Corinthian believers who took of the Lord's Supper unworthily and they slept or died because of their sin in partaking unworthily. Just makes sense. Okay. So if you defile the temple of God, then you are inviting the judgment of God into your life. So, Corinthians, do you understand this? You're the temple of God. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. The temple of God is holy. Which temple ye are? 
So therefore, you need to strive to be holy. Because they're carnal. Right? They're not holy right now. And what are they doing? They are defiling the temple, the dwelling place of God in their own personal lives. And here is what they are doing. They are inviting the judgment of God in their lives because of their carnality, because of their sinfulness, because of their worldliness, because they are defiling that which is supposed to be holy in their lives because of their sin, they are inviting the judgment of God in their lives. Now up to this point, I think most people would agree. I think most people could accept this and most people could say, I, I, I would accept that or, or, or I'll buy into that. I, I don't have a problem with what you've said so far. But it's here where things began to turn and turn drastically with so many people. Because this evening, if I were to ask you, are we the temple of God? Most people would say yes. Because Scripture's fairly clear on that. But if I said to you tonight then... How is it that people defile the temple of God? How is it that they mar it? Well, you may say something like this, well, based on sin. So if I pursued it a little bit further and said, okay, what do you mean then by way of sin? That is where people begin to just kind of say things that have no relevance to the context of the passage. Somebody says, well, what do you mean? I'm just going to give us a few illustrations. Just stick with me. Don't get nervous, okay? Do not get nervous. But this portion of Scripture many times would be used as a platform to say something like this. A child of God ought not smoke, do drugs, or drink alcohol. Don't they know their body is the temple of God? Here, let me ask you something. Should a child of God smoke? No. No, he shouldn't. She shouldn't. They shouldn't. Should a child of God do drugs? Only if prescribed by their doctor. Should a child of God drink alcohol? I, I can't see where that's necessary or permissible in the New Testament. Okay. Okay. I don't think those things are right, but that's not what the Word of God is addressing right here. That's not at all what the Word of God is talking about right now. And I'll show you what I'm talking about in just a couple of moments. If we were to just look at this and say, okay, what about the issue of morality? Should a Christian live an immoral life? Well, again, we'd say, of course not. Well, why not? Because our bodies are the temple of God. And you should not do that because of, well, just everything that goes with that. Okay, it's right. You shouldn't do that 
but that's not what this verse is talking about. Now, now think about so many things that can be plugged in there. They're abusing their body with how much they eat and what they eat and so on and so forth. Should I take care of my body? Yes, but not because it's the temple of God. It is the temple of God, but again, that's not what the Scripture's talking about. You ought not mark your body. I agree. Christians ought not have new markings. If you have markings from your past life, that's one thing, but Christians ought not have new markings. But that's not what the Scripture's talking about. Christian ought to dress modestly. They should, but you're going to have a hard time defining from Scripture exactly what is and is not modest because everybody's going to have a differing opinion of that. And at the end of the day, that's not even really what the Scripture's talking about in this particular passage. Now, maybe this isn't making sense, or maybe I'm making you think, or maybe you're feeling awkward right now, or maybe you just don't agree with what I'm saying. But I want us to think about the context. At what point, up to this point, has Paul dealt with addictions? He hasn't. At what point in this letter has the Apostle Paul dealt with morality? He hasn't. At what point in this letter has the Apostle Paul talked about a person's health and weight and body mass index and things of that nature? He hasn't. At what point has he talked about marking your bodies? He hasn't talked about it. At what point has he talked about modesty in this particular book up to this point? He has not even referenced it. What has he referenced on more than one occasion now. He's referenced their carnality that has been manifest through their division and their strife and, uh, in verse number, uh, their envyings and their strife and their divisions. Now let's listen, please. What the Apostle Paul has been addressing up to this point have been things that are more internal. Some of you aren't going to get this because you're not listening. He has been dealing with things that are more internal than they are external. Their envying, their strife, and their division, you know what that was a result of? That was a result of things like pride. That was the result of things like self-righteousness. That was the result of things like selfishness. And we want to promote our guy while you're trying to promote your person. And and you know what all that was a manifestation of? It was a manifestation of carnality which revealed in them this internal heart problem in their personal lives. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. 
He said, the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. You are inviting the judgment of God on your life, not necessarily based upon all the external things that could be wrong, but right now we're still dealing with just the internal things that are wrong in your life. Now, let me ask you something. External versus internal. Which one is more exciting to deal with? External, for those of you who don't know. It is so much easier and so much more fun for a preacher to get up and say, Know ye not that your body is the temple of God? You ought not be doing that stuff. That's exciting. Know ye not that your body is the temple of God? You ought not be putting that in your body. Know ye not that the temple or your body is the temple of God? And you ought not be doing that. Well, see, that's the exciting stuff. That's the stuff that people can get all worked up about and say amen and praise God and all, you know, at least in our ranks as independent Baptists, that's what will generate the amens in a service. But you know what's boring? It's when we began to deal with the internal. It's kind of like spending money on things that most people will never see. It's like working on the things that most people will never see just by looking at us. But see, that is not as exciting. And so many times what we don't want to do is give as much attention to the internal as we want to give to the external. Because if we've got our external good because that's the exciting part, then we feel like our temple hasn't been defiled by all that sin and things of the world. So I can stand before you and say, well, I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't do drugs and I'm not immoral and, and, and I try to take care of myself physically and, and I try to dress in a way that would be becoming and I, I do this and I do this and I do this. So therefore, everybody, I want you to know, hey, everybody, I'm not defiling my temple. Okay. Now let's talk about the heart. See that critical spirit? That can sure defile a temple. You know, when you sit around and you're critical of everyone else and, and, and you know the answers for everyone else and a and bunch of morons and knuckleheads and goofballs and, and however we may choose to describe them and, and don't they have enough sense to come in the rain and good grief, they're so ignorant. and this, uh, just, Man, uh, if more people were like me, it'd be better. Friends, do we not realize the critical spirit defiles the temple of God? Because Christ did not walk around with a critical spirit. What about the backbiting tongue? You know, just the person, you know, just at Walmart, they're not going to walk by you and realize that you're not a backbiter or you are a backbiter. But uh, God knows.
Well, I just want to dress right on the outside. Okay, dress right, that's fine. But if you can't get your backbiting under control, your temple is, is as defiled as, as the person who doesn't dress right. What about a rebellious attitude? We're all grown-ups. That doesn't mean a thing. We can still have a rebellious attitude. What about a self-righteous attitude? I know that goes hand-in-hand hand with a critical spirit because you can't be critical unless you know you're right. And so you're just self-righteous and you've got everything together because, well, you know, me and my wife or me and my husband and our kids, you know, I mean, we just got the perfect little family going along because every Sunday I wear my suit and tie and my kids look right and, and you know, everything's just right and proper on the outside, so therefore my temple's in order. No, it's not. Not if you're self-righteous and looking down on other people. about a lack of personal discipline? What about laziness? So many things that may not be evident on the outside. See, that stuff's not fun and exciting. I'm going to say this again because I really want us to understand this. So many Christians, especially amongst our own ranks, we want to take this verse and say our body is the temple of God. And therefore, because I am, I am a child of God, I am supposed to be holy as He is holy. And then we're the ones who start determining what all the indicators are of holiness. And more times than not, it gets to the exterior, the exterior, the exterior. Now again, all that is necessary and there is a place for all that. But it's not what Paul was talking about to this point in his letter. The only thing he has talked about is the division that is the result of an interior problem in the heart being manifest in their division and their strife and their envying. So this evening, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to remind us. Our body is the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwells in me if I'm a child of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you if you're a child of God. Because of that, my temple and your temple, as a dwelling place of God, it should be holy. But not just on the outside, but on the inside as well. And friends, if we're not holy on the inside, listen please, if we're not holy on the inside and all we've got is the outward holiness, which is really nothing more than self-righteousness, if we don't have inward holiness, you know what we're doing? We are inviting the judgment of God on our lives. Because God sees the critical spirit, he sees the backbiting tongue, he sees the rebellious attitude, he sees the self-righteous attitude, he sees the laziness, he sees the lack of personal discipline, he sees every bit of it. And so if all we're worried about is the exterior, but we're not working on the interior, we are inviting the judgment of God on our lives. Now again, is that exciting? 
Well, it's not exciting, but guess what? Every bit of it's necessary. Just like it insulation, the spare tire to bearing. It's all needed, though that may not be what we want to give attention to. I want to ask you this evening, and, and you just answer this in your own heart and mind, but I want to ask you this evening, how much time do we spend working on the inside? How much time do we spend working on the inside? Because so many times for the average Christian, we're spending all of our time on the exterior. Because that's where the wow factor comes. That's where you get to put on the show. That's where you get to impress people. But what about the interior? How much time are we spending on the interior and saying, God, help my attitude, help my spirit, help my internal struggles here, whatever it may be. That is as much a part of the temple of God as anything else is. How much time are we giving to the interior? Let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight to take just a moment and, if nothing else, let you speak to our heart. God, it would be a terrible thing for us to stand this evening and just assume that our heart is what it's supposed to be, that our motives are what they're supposed to be, that our spirit is what it's supposed to be, without at least letting you examine us. God, would you help us tonight? to just be honest because it could be that there are some who are so worried about the exterior that they never give attention to the interior and it's so important I pray that you'd bless now in Jesus name Amen As Lauren